Are you curious on how much your business is worth? Get your free no obligation offer from Open Store at open.store. The subscription market is predicted to grow to nearly $500 billion by 2025. Recharge is a leading subscription management solution helping e-commerce merchants of all sizes launch and scale their subscription offerings. Over 15,000 merchants use subscriptions powered by Recharge to grow their business and their communities by increasing average order value, reducing churn, and providing predictable recurring revenue. Turn transactions into long-term customer relationships and experience seamless subscription commerce with Recharge. Check them out at rechargepayments.com forward slash DTC pod. What's up, DTC pod? Today, we're really excited to have on uh, the founder and CEO of Zero Acre Farms, Jeff Knobs. Uh, so Jeff, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, yourself and what you're building with Zero Acre? Yeah, thanks guys. Um, glad to chat with you. So we've been thinking about this problem for a really long time and the problem is vegetable oils. So vegetable oils are something that if you nerd out on nutrition or sustainability, you might know a lot about. Otherwise, maybe you, you, know, you haven't thought twice about the type of oils you eat and Vegetable oils are this huge, huge market and huge problem. They're the most consumed food in the world after rice and wheat. They're about 20% of our calories. They're the fastest growing subsector of global agriculture, um, but they're really bad for us. And turns out they're also really bad for the planet. So I've been banging my head against the wall on this problem for the better part of the last decade. Uh, and it all kind of started, uh, I, I've always been fascinated by food. I've loved food, you know, it tastes good. It brings people together. Uh, we literally are what we eat. You know, every cell in our body is composed of the foods we put in our mouth ultimately. Um, and so what we eat has this massive impact on how we feel, how we look, how we perform, uh, and frankly, like how long we live and how, you know, how well we are versus sick. And, um, my, my father was an entrepreneur. My mother was a nurse. So, um, you know, I, I always figured I'd do something entrepreneurial that maybe was in the field of, of health. Uh, and in, when I was 20, both my parents passed away from, uh, cancer, totally separate, unrelated, uh, cancers. And I now see those as preventable chronic diseases. So that was kind of the, the paradigm shift in my life where I decided to commit myself to figuring out why people get sick and, you know, trying to do something about it. So I, I had a business at the time, um, you know, in, in college, it was an e-commerce business and we were partnered with a bunch of online retailers and, and our, our members would get cash back rebates when they shopped at these stores. Um, th that business was ultimately acquired and that business was also sort of a stepping stone. It was not in health and nutrition or sustainability. It wasn't what I was passionate about, but learned a ton about entrepreneurship and, uh, and, and got into the food world. So I, I started a restaurant called Catava. Uh, it's a chain in the Bay area. And through that learned that oils are not only an issue, you know, for our health and the planet, they're also just really hard to source for restaurants. You're basically deciding between sourcing, you know, like soybean oil, corn oil, canola oil, stuff that we just absolutely shouldn't be eating or oils that are not good at all for the planet or oils that have really strong flavors and, you know, can't be used in a number of dishes like an extra virgin olive oil or, or a coconut oil. They're not nearly as versatile as something like a canola oil. Um, so it took literally like 18 months to figure out what to source. Uh, and, and, you know, ultimately compromises had to be made. Um, so 
as part of my mission in figuring out how to reverse uh, chronic disease, started reading molecular biology textbooks, you know, biochemistry textbooks, anything I could get my hands on to better understand what happens when we put different foods in our bodies. And everything kept pointing to vegetable oils. Um, you know, ha happy to go into the details of, of why they're so bad, but um, that was when the light bulb kind of went off of, we just, we need to create something better. Um, you know, education is important, but if we can create something better through an actual commercial enterprise and offer people something where they don't have to make a sacrifice or make a compromise to choose the healthy, sustainable option, then it's just far less of an uphill battle. You know, it's like uh, selling people Teslas instead of convincing everyone to stop taking the bus to work or stop driving to, you know, save energy um, or, or to prevent carbon emissions from transportation. Way easier to just make a better car that happens to be electric. So that's what we've done with, uh, with cooking oil. And cultured oil is, is our first product here at Zero Acre Farms. Uh, and, and we think it solves a lot of the problems that have been introduced by vegetable oils. Um, Jeff, one, a couple things just to set the context for the audience. Um, you guys are going after a really big problem, as you guys mentioned, in the oil space. Um, today, you know, you guys have raised uh, almost $40 million in, in your A to go after this problem. And one thing that's really, you know, that I'd love to kind of unpack a little bit is how did the, I know you mentioned the current state of vegetable oil and all the problems with it, right? But this has become something that seems like pretty commonplace and it's not something that everyone's really thinking about. And sometimes the biggest problems might be just staring you in the face and it's the way that everything is. So um, if you could, could you just give us a little bit of context about maybe like the background about vegetable oil, not only why it's bad, but like whether, whether it's because of cost or because of like what infrastructure is in place so that the whole world just runs on it and that's the way things are and people don't think twice about it? Yeah, it's a, it's a really great question, Blank, because we, we basically take it for granted. Uh, you know, with, with something like sugar, you know, you you taste it in everything you eat. With something like uh, flour or meat, it's, it's right there and it's a core part of that thing you're eating. Vegetable oils sort of just sneak into, you know, packaged foods, restaurant foods, um, uh, pretty much everything, you know, to, which is why they're so prevalent. And they they used to not be a human food. So, um, you know, they, they were traditionally used in industrial applications. Uh, they didn't really even come onto the scene even for that until the 1800s to replace things like whale blubber, um, you know, which were kind of the, the original fats. Uh, then we started uh, pressing cotton seeds for oil to use for industrial applications. You know, there was a huge cotton industry in the US. Uh, the issue was it was, a, it was acutely toxic to humans to eat. And then we figured out a way to, to remove that acute toxicity. And then there were, there were uh, soap and candle makers named uh, Proctor and Gamble, who happened to be brothers-in-law. And they figured out that if they partially hydrogenated cottonseed oil, they could turn it into this um, kind of semi-soft, semi-hard substance. They ultimately did that. They called it Crisco, and Crisco just took off. Um, you know, pretty pretty quickly, it was in thousands and tens of thousands, etc., households. And the the whole marketing behind it was that it was pure. You know, it was it was pure, unlike um, unlike the fats of the time, like lard and, and butter. And it was very white, and so it was seen as clean. Um, we now know that. Crisco is terrible for you and it's full of trans fats. And, um, and now th those are literally illegal. So modern day Crisco doesn't have trans fats in it, but it's still full of vegetable oils. Um, but yeah, that, that pretty quickly, you know, was, it was in households all over the country. And then the cottonseed oil in Crisco 
started to be replaced by soybean oil, um, corn oil, other seed oils. Seed oils and vegetables are sort of synonymous. And, and largely that was because we were growing so much corn and soy for animal agriculture, you know, to feed to, to factory farm animals. Uh, and, and so what we would do is we'd, we'd press the soy or the corn kernel or any other number of seeds for oil, feed that and market that to humans. And then we'd feed the leftovers to animals as feed. So it went on like this for a number of decades. And, um, and then it, it sort of got picked up by uh, a, a number of health organizations like the American Heart Association. They're, you know, not to get too far into like conspiracy theory land here, but it's just the history. Um, they, they kind of came onto the scene through a huge donation from Procter and Gamble. And, um, you know, th that's what kind of brought them from this small organization no one had heard of to now one of the largest uh, nonprofit organizations in the world. And so their history is extremely interwoven with industry. And they've played a huge role in the, the history of seed oils and why they began to be touted as heart healthy. Um, they soon replaced and, and became the, the go-to fryer oil at you know, McDonald's, Wendy's, Burger King. Um, and, and throughout the 1990s, we thought we were doing something really good by putting all these partially hydrogenated vegetable oils in our fryers. Early 2000s, we realized, oops, turns out all these trans fats are killing us and not good for us at all. And so we uh, took out the trans fats, but kept the vegetable oils. So now, you know, pretty much everything we eat, um, uh, you know, if we eat out or if we eat a packaged food, or even for a lot of people when cooking at home, is doused with these with these vegetable oils. Um, and so a lot of it is momentum. A lot of it is, you know, the the way we make food decisions in this country is more based on politics than on you know the the health science. Um, and frankly, because there's no good alternative. So we're not going to see restaurants and packaged foods using lard anytime soon. Um, and you know, trans fats are off the table. So that sort of only leaves these seed oils or vegetable oils. And, uh, and so we see it as a cool opportunity to, to actually offer an alternative for the first time in a long time. I, you know, I wanted to mention, you mentioned, uh, a lot of these, uh, you know, vegetable oils are sitting in households currently. And, but at the same time, you also have chains like McDonald's, et cetera, using these oils. And then you have a ton of CPG products that, you know, come with this oil in it. So in order to, to solve this problem and accomplish this mission, um, seems to be a few layers to it, right? Like, are you going directly after replacing it at the house? Or, you know, is the end goal to going at such scale to break through those barriers of distribution policies and the scale of hopefully one day, you know, replacing it to the point that, you know, it's at restaurants, it's, it's what McDonald's uses and, and even other CPG manufacturers can buy it as a raw ingredient. Yeah, absolutely. That's our North star is like, our dream is you walk into a McDonald's and you order French fries and you know, they're cooked in cultured oil. Um, and the French fries are so delicious and everyone loves French fries and French fries don't have to be so bad for you. You know, they're bad for you because they're cooked in these vegetable oils that easily oxidize and go rancid and go from bad to worse when, when they're deep fried for hours or days or, you know, even longer at a time. Uh, if you, if you put some potatoes with some salt and a little bit of oil in the oven, you know, at 450 degrees and eat that, that's considered like a healthy part of a, a dinner. But as soon as now it's French fries, which are literally the same ingredients of, you know, so, salt, oil, and, and potatoes, everyone knows it's bad for you. It's because of the oil. So, you know, our dream is that uh, the person who doesn't have time to listen to uh, podcasts on, you know, topics related to, to health and the latest and greatest or 
read nutrition blogs and books that that person is, you know, is doing something good for themselves just when they go to whatever restaurant they normally eat at. So knowing that's our North star and where we want to get to, the question was, where do we start? And we, we could have started there, but there are a couple of reasons we didn't. One is, uh, costs. So, you know, while, while we're not exorbitantly expensive or, you know, 10 times more than, than other oils, uh, we're, we're still a premium product to start and B2B customers are just way more price sensitive than consumers. Um, you know, it's the same reason very few restaurants use, for example, pasture raised eggs, almost no restaurants do. Whereas, uh, an increasingly large, very large number of consumers are buying pasture aids eggs for themselves when they actually have something to say in the matter. Um, and the other is when someone sees that French fries or potato chips are cooked in cultured oil, their first question is going to be what's cultured oil. And we, we want to own the messaging on that to start. And, you know, we, we don't have that opportunity if all of a sudden day one, uh, you know, potato chip brand has cultured oil on the ingredient list. So we'll get there eventually. And that's why education is, is really important to what we do. Um, but we're starting D to C. So, you know, we, we could have also started in retail or grocery, um, but we're, we're starting D to C because you can just learn so quickly and maybe our messaging on, on, uh, the benefits of cultured oil are way off, you know, and that'd be, that'd be a bad mistake to make if we had just printed like, uh, 3 million bottles and they're on the shelves at, at whole foods nationwide, but it's a really easy mistake to fix when we're making you know, small batches, we can AB test different messages online, um, and we can reach a number of audiences digitally. So that's where we're starting, build up the volume, bring down the cost, learn a lot, build up the brand, build up this new category of cultured oil, and then eventually get to the, the McDonald's and Frito-Lays of the world. Yeah, Jeff, I think that's the right way to, to think about it because you know when you're creating a new category like this, so much comes down to the product itself and being able to iterate and get the product the right way for the customers as well as the messaging, right? Um, so, and going into that messaging about cultured oil, could you tell us a little bit more about A, how you landed on cultured oil? Like, what does that mean? And, and B, like a little bit more about, um, you know, without going into too many details about the process, but like just in general, what's, what's in cultured oil, what's in zero acre farms. Yeah. Um, so we started with the problem, you know, we were obsessed with that problem of vegetable oils have got to go. And how can we do this in a way that is obviously way better for people that's core to our mission. That's better for the planet. Uh, and that actually has a chance of, of, of scaling past, you know, friends and family and like, super intense nutrition and environmental advocates. Um, and so we looked at a number of things, uh, you know, we looked at like, can you grow palm oil in North America? Cause palm oil is actually a really productive crop. It's just where it grows. That's the problem. It only grows basically, you know, it competes with rainforest grows near the equator. Um, we looked at, uh, regeneratively farmed ruminant animals like cows, you know, grass fed regeneratively farmed cows and their beef tallow, their beef fat, could that be scaled? Um, we looked at olive oil, could olive oil be scaled? But you know, the same issue with olive oil is it only grows in certain regions of the world. Um, it, it happens it's like to be like avocado oil, same problem. Same problem with avocado oil, yeah. The, these fruit oils tend to be better for your health because uh, they're lower in the problematic fatty acids, but they tend to be worse for the environment and only grow in certain regions of the world. And those areas they grow tend to be very biodiverse regions. Um, so you, know, you have to chop down a bunch of rainforests to, to, to grow these crops. Um, so that, that didn't seem like a good solution. And, you know, the other thing is we, we, most vegetable oils are used for cooking. 
And most cooking happens at, you know, 350, 400, 450 degrees. There's no plant or animal on earth that evolved at 400 degrees. And so by definition, the oil in their cells, you know, that, that we extract, they didn't need to hold up to 400 degree temperature. They didn't need to hold up to high heat. They didn't evolve to. So if we could kind of go back to first principles and design the perfect cooking oil, it would hold up to high heat. It would be liquid so that it could be a one-to-one -one replacement for all these problematic vegetable oils. You know, it'd be good for the planet. It would have way more of the good fats and way fewer of the bad fats. And what's really cool is when you use fermentation to produce oil, there's way more control over what the fat profile is and what the physical properties are because you can just do things quickly and you can pivot and iterate. So in the case of, I don't know, growing a, a palm tree, you know, a palm tree go grows over the course of years or decades. It keeps getting higher and higher and higher. If you want to uh, make some changes to a palm tree, you know, let, uh, let me see what happens if we grow it in this temperature versus that temperature. You'd have to, I mean, you can imagine how hard that would be, right? To try to figure out like how to grow an outdoor crop in a different temperature. It's you know, basically impossible. Um, or what if we change the humidity, the amount of oxygen it's receiving? You can't do any of that. And with fermentation, it's enclosed. You know, we control how much oxygen it's getting, uh, what the temperature is. So we can optimize that really quickly. And turns out when you make oils via fermentation, it's an extremely efficient process. Um, you can make cultured oil and it's about 90%, uh, about a 90% smaller environmental footprint than vegetable oil. So about 10 X lower, whether you're looking at water use, land use, greenhouse gas emissions, you know, carbon emissions. Um, so it's, it's a really effective way to, to make oil. Um, that's not to say it's the only way, but, um, certainly has a lot of benefits. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. What I love about how you thought about, um, at least from a product development standpoint was like bringing in all the, all those factors into consideration, um, and thinking about what you needed as the output and then mapping the inputs to, to get there, um, in terms of like going as you develop the product. So, um, the next question I'd have in terms of the go to market, cause like, as we talked about, this is a massive market that you're going after and should you guys, uh, you know, be able to scale up successfully, like, you know, McDonald's will just be the, the tip of the, the spear. There's so many more countries and markets that you'd ultimately be able to exp expand into. But in terms of like just getting started from an infrastructural side of things, like what did you need to do? Um, like what were kind of the first steps in, in not only like building out and developing the product, but like, you know, what kind of team were you bringing on to like go out this mission with you and what kind of like physical resources did you need to be able to start um you know building that initial inventory and product so um like i had mentioned we're fairly agnostic on the solution but you know the problem was clear and we thought fermentation was the best solution i thought fermentation was the best solution so next step was figuring out how the heck do we do this and you know i um i'm not a scientist i'm not a fermentation researcher you can't like put me in a research facility and be like, Hey, go make some oil using fermentation. I wouldn't really know where to start. So, uh, yeah, step one was, was recruiting. Um, I, I have two co-founders. Both of them are way smarter than I am when it comes to the, the science and the fermentation. Um, so that was step one, getting them on board. Uh, both my co-founders are brilliant when it comes to actually taking a, a culture or this community of microorganisms 
um, and getting them to produce oil. You know, instead of producing cheese or bread or sauerkraut or kimchi, they produce healthy fats. Um, and then in terms of raising money, you know, that, that was also necessary for a project like this. I don't think all, you know, certainly not all startups or businesses need to raise money. You know, uh, plenty don't have to. It's not like a requirement to, to have a startup. But for what we had in mind, we knew we would need to. And so what we really focused on, I'm going to start selling a broken record here. What we really focused on was the problem. Um, because if, if, if you're not bought into the problem or understand how big of a problem vegetable oils are, the solution just doesn't seem as like powerful or compelling. Um, when you understand how big of a problem these oils are, then the solution of being able to offer an alternative that fixes all these health issues, fixes all these environmental issues, and is just better and provides a better culinary experience, um, you know, it's, it's just much more convincing. And frankly, I think it was when we first started raising money a few years ago, it was a good time. You know, food tech was in, uh, was a hot space and no one had thought of doing like what all these other companies are doing and, you know, alternative proteins and, um, low carb crackers and, uh, low calorie sweeteners and all this, no one was really doing anything in oil. Like that, that aisle in the grocery store hadn't been disrupted in about a hundred years when Chris, uh, since, since Crisco first came along and there's no, there, you know, there's very little branding in the oil aisle. Most people know whether they buy olive oil, avocado oil, canola oil, corn oil, most people couldn't tell you the actual brand of oil that they purchase. So you know, fr from that alone, there's an interesting kind of brand opportunity. Um, but combining that with some innovation and and bring, bringing some products to market that aren't currently out there that are that are made in a you know in a very different way, um, we're, we're very curious to see what what that combination of things will do. And, and so far, feedback's been pretty good. Yeah, and I, I like that focus on not only the problem, but it, it seems like that positions your brand. To, it, it's a totally different positioning than coming up with a boutique uh, oil for the for the olive oil um, aisle, for example, right? Like because you guys are problem oriented, um, it allows for a totally different sort of strategy, a totally different type of messaging. Um, and it, and I'm even thinking like in your go to market and your marketing messing, there, there's gotta be a big educational piece, right? So like, how do you think about that educational piece in terms of educating this consumer base and like spreading the message about the problem? Because I mean, even when me and Ramon were chatting offline about this, um, one of the reasons we're really excited to get into this, this topic was just because it was something that was it was probably like in the back of my head somewhere. Like everyone knows that the oil they're eating is bad and you feel guilty like having, you know, the French fries, you're like, oh, that oil is like fried or maybe it's reused or like that's gotta be bad for you. So I think there's something there in like the back of the consumer's mind where they, they know that this is a thing. So I guess, how do you like tap into that flywheel when it comes to your marketing and your go-to-market and as you think about education to become a flywheel for your growth? You hit the nail on the head. Um, education is, is key to what we're doing. And frankly, some of that education, some of those education efforts are not going to lead to purchases of cultured oil. And that's fine. You know, a, a good portion of the, that education will lead people to just stop, stop eating so much vegetable oil altogether or to, you know, start cutting out maybe some packaged foods or some fast food that right now is kind of inescapable when it comes to seed oils. Um, maybe some of that education will lead to consumers in restaurants and you know food manufacturers switching to more sustainable regeneratively farmed animal fats or to you know conflict free palm oil or other alternatives that are just a little bit better those are all wins um, 
We hope that at least some portion goes to purchases of cultured oil so that uh, we can expand our volume. And as volume goes up, costs go down. As costs go down, price goes down. As price goes down, our product is more accessible to more people. And as it's more accessible to more people, more people are able to purchase it. Volume goes up, costs go down. And that's sort of the flywheel. And that's a big reason you know, we started with D2C and with consumers as that flywheel kind of goes into effect. Then eventually we can get to the restaurants who are way more price sensitive. And so some of the things we're doing on the education front is uh, content. So we, at uh, zeroacre.com slash blog, we have a, a bunch of content uh, related to how how these oils affect our health and affect the planet, you know, when, when we grow them and when we eat them. Uh, and it's pretty eye-opening. Some of the content we have there is, you know, it, it goes pretty in-depth. Um, like in, in the Google Doc, it was like 40 plus pages. Um, but it's, for example, you know, how, how do seed oils contribute to obesity and weight gain? And there's a lot there. Same, same with heart disease. Um, so, so, so that's one piece. And, you know, frankly, a lot of that is just to get that out there into the ether and get people aware of this. Uh, it's not like we're, you know, tracking conversion from an obesity white paper to a, a, a purchase of cultured oil. It's just kind of like, get, you know, get that information out there. Um, and then also having conversations like this, uh, you know, we, we have, we have our, our, uh, advisors and our investors, you know, they're, they're all influential, but there are also hundreds of thousands, millions of those micro influencers, which is, I guess, is just a word now used to describe word of mouth where, you know, you hear about something and then you tell your, you see your mom using Mazzola corn oil or something. And you're like, mom, why are you still cooking with this? We need to throw this out. Um, so we've gotten videos of people who, you know, they'll film themselves going into their parents' cabinet, grabbing the, the bottle of canola oil, walking over to the trash can, dropping it in, or doing the same with margarine from the fridge. Um, so yeah, the, you know, talking about kind of what's it going to take for B2B and the flywheel, definitely on the cost, definitely on consumer awareness. The other is we'd, we'd much rather have consumers demanding from McDonald's that they switch their oil as opposed to like our sales team calling McDonald's and trying to make it happen. You know, that's, that's going to be tough. Um, when they realize that their locations are getting five calls a day from people asking what kind of oil they're using and whether they can switch to something better, you know, that, that's where, um, that's, that's where things start to move. And when, when businesses start to do it for the bottom line, not out of the goodness of their heart, you know, that's great. Cause then the, the, all the good stuff is, is just the icing on the cake. I mean, that's, you know, I'm not, I'm not super deep into, um, food and health, but that's how I found out about it. As I mentioned earlier, you know, I see Justin Maris and a few other people just tweeting some of this stuff and it's just, it piques my interest so much, even though, you know, my, my, my timeline is not full of food stuff. Um, and so then I see it again, then I see it again a little bit later and then I have Jeff here and I'm like, Oh, so this is the guy who's doing this. Okay. Yeah. I, I, part of me wishes that we, I didn't have to, um, but like years and years and years went by and no one was doing anything about it. And so sort of like, well, if we don't do something about this, maybe nobody else will. Um, and I, I am strangely obsessed with oils. So figured that was a sign that this is probably the right problem to work on. For sure. And so a super, this might be an ignorant question, but you know, the alternative, you know, is could be like, well, is this, is the solution to just entirely get rid of it? Like then, you know, why do we still need some, some form of a healthier oil? Um, 
you know, probably when I think about, well, if I want to replace frying my fries, I could use my air fryer, get rid of the vegetable oil together. Um, unless, you know, there's certain other applications I'm, I'm not aware of that, that it's just required to have oil hey, for it. Yeah, no, if, if everyone got their fats from, you know, whole foods from coconuts and avocados and like their local rancher, that'd be great. Um, French fries, potato chips, you know, stir fries, uh, cooking it, frying eggs, uh, making mayonnaise, making salad dressings, making nut butters. These things aren't going away anytime soon. And so if we're going to eat so much oil, let's at least eat oil that isn't destroying our health and the planet. And, um, you know, oil, oil is not a micronutrient dense food that it's not like, you know, dark chocolate or kale or liver or something like that. Um, it's, it's a medium and it can make, it can make healthy foods taste a lot better. You know, healthy fats are important. Um, and more than anything, the wrong fats can be really, really, really harmful. So the way, the way we look at it, uh, you know, if people eat less oil, eat other better, healthy fats, great. Um, but most people are still going to want their liquid cooking oil. They're still going to want to do their stir frying and high, high heat cooking. They're still going to go out to restaurants and, and eat food. Uh, and they're still going to eat packaged foods. And it's really hard, if not impossible, to do any of those things without a cooking oil. Yeah, I mean, oil is like, it's one of the things that underpins. It's like a key ingredient in, in like you said, in all of the food that people really consume. Um, and one thing that's interesting to me about, like, almost the, if you look at the category of like, health and this trend that we're in right now where everyone's like trying to be healthy about the food that they're eating and at first it was like all about like low price fast food and no one cared about the ingredients and then people started to become more ingredient conscious it, it seems like a really natural fit because i think somewhere along that arc right you you went from cheap fast food that was like really bad for you to like healthy fast food that like you would think is good because maybe it's a salad but then it has like you know, a ton of calories in it, maybe like a ton of like sugar, bad oil and like calories in it. And like, you don't even know if you go like to a restaurant and eat a salad, you might think you're being healthy, but you're like, why aren't, why aren't the pounds coming up? Like what's going on here? Um, and then going like full circle to actually getting to healthy um, alternatives. So like, I know, for example, I feel guilty sometimes when I go eat food where I'm trying to be healthy and I know that it's not I'm not actually being healthy. So I think even the chains, um, there, there's just so many opportunities to partner with, whether it's uh, chains that are offering healthy alternatives, um, in even in a boutique sense, because like that's why a lot of people are going, right? They want to know what's, what's in the food that they're putting in their body. So as you start to penetrate those sort of change and those that sort of world, then you can kind of scale out from there. And um, is, is that kind of how you guys are thinking about and see the market unfolding as well? Or, um, you know, how, how are you guys thinking about that? Yeah, I, what, what you described is like the worst case scenario, like the worst of both worlds, where you're making a sacrifice for taste to eat something you think is healthier, but then it's actually worse. <laughs> you know, like then you're, you're eating a food that doesn't taste good. Um, and, and putting something in your body that, you know, doesn't make you feel good and, and isn't healthy. At least if you have like a cheesecake or something, you know, it's not gonna be good for you, but at least you enjoy the heck out of that cheesecake. Or if, you know, you have something that's like really, really healthy, um, but you don't love the taste. Well, at least you did something good for your body. But yeah, the, the salad, the salad one is, is tough. Um, you know, a lot of people look to salads as, 
as this great healthy meal. Um, and you know, it certainly doesn't have to be bad, but when it's doused with soybean oil, uh, it's, you know, it might be doing more harm than good. Um, and yeah, the, these oils, you know, whether it's salads or, or other restaurant food, um, they're, they're just sort of in everything. And it's also interesting cause like they're, they're yeah, they're, they're the food that, um, if anything, your food will taste better if you start using healthier fats and with so many other foods, you know, you're, you're, you're just making that big sacrifice, whether it's sugar or gluten or refined flours or whatever. Um, like, you know, your, your food's just not going to be taste as tasty if you get rid of sugar and gluten and flour and salt and, you know, all these other things, um, you'll, you'll get used to it and it'll be fine eventually. But when you, when you first start doing it, you're like, where's my, where's my cheesecake? I just want my cheesecake. Uh, whereas if you start using a healthier fat, you know, wh whether that's cultured oil or, or another healthier fat, um, from a taste standpoint, you're like, sweet, I think this tastes better. And that's, that's kind of rare. Um, especially when it comes to, you know, like, uh, sustainable foods, um, and, you know, try, trying to do what's right for the planet, do what's right for your body to, to be able to do that without making a sacrifice, uh, is, is pretty cool. You know, what's funny though, is like some companies that are marketing towards what is supposed to be new health foods are miseducating a lot of consumers. When you see people, you know, asking for like an impossible burger and all this kind of stuff. And don't those still use like vegetable oils and all this kind of stuff? I mean, how are these companies promoting this new form of, of health? And in reality, they're still, they're still doing just as much damage, if not more, um, to themselves, you know, this makes, then you have to sort of, then you have to come in and sort of re-educate all over again, um, these consumers. Yeah. It's unfortunate. Their heart's in the right place, but you know, everyone comes from a different background, different education with different assumptions and biases. And, uh, yeah, it's, un it's unfortunate that right now, if you avoid meat for whatever reason, and, but you still want to enjoy a burger or enjoy something that, you know, tastes good, tastes like meat. Basically your only option right now is to eat some combination of uh, protein and vegetable oils. And certainly that doesn't have to be the case, but again, there's just no good alternative. Obviously a plant-based burger isn't gonna use like lard or beef tallow or something. Um, so the only fat available is vegetable oils. And um, hopefully we, you know, we can help do something about that and, and provide an alternative. But I think you're starting to see this in market caps of publicly traded plant-based, uh, meat companies, you know, a lot of the marketing was around the health benefits and, and, and the sustainability benefits. But, um, you know, if, if you look at kind of the, the public messaging from these companies, uh, it, it used to be a little bit more on the environmental side and now it's, it's gone more toward the health side of things. And I think part of the realization is we all want to think that we're selfless and doing what's best for, you know, the planet and we're all willing to make sacrifices, but, that's not what the data shows. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure the three of us are different, uh, but what the data shows is people still want to do at the end of the day, what's best for them, what's best for their kids and family, you know, and that means, uh, what's affordable, what tastes really good and what's best for my health. And so I think with a lot of the plant-based meat companies, uh, you know, they saw the environmental benefit as the cherry on top and tried to market the health benefit that backfired a little bit when they, they, um, they were under fire for, Hey, isn't this just a processed food? Look at all these ingredients. And 
Some of those claims are probably valid. Some are a little bit dramatic and bogus just because a food has like more than five ingredients doesn't mean it's just by default unhealthy. Um, but yeah, there, there is certainly, there is certainly a lot in there. You know, I, I'm obviously focused on all the, uh, the vegetable oils in there that, that were problematic. And so when your marketing doesn't align with how your product is actually perceived by customers, um, you know, I, I think that's, I think that the, the dip in their market cap is, is partly a result of that. Jeff, one thing I wanted to um, talk, make sure we covered on before uh, before our time's up here is how you guys uh, like actually went and raised capital. Because I know you have some amazing VCs and some amazing funds and celebrity investors behind you, and you guys did raise for what in the traditional CPG landscape is a is a pretty uh, large sum of money, right? So what what went into it, and what did it take to do to get that done? Was it the story that was resonating? with people? Was it, um, the market that you were going after? Like what was the confluence of factors that, um, helped you guys land on the amount of capital you needed to go after the next stage and bring some of these amazing supporters along for, for your journey? So I can tell you what I thought would work. And then I can tell you what actually worked when I got feedback from the folks who invested in us. Um, so when we first started, what I thought would work was actually not focusing on, uh, <laughs> And now looking back, I'm like, what was I thinking? But it was not focusing so much on all the health benefits and environmental benefits of cultured oil. I thought, you know, I'm just in this weird pocket near Berkeley, California, where I think that's important, but most people don't. And so when we get, when we tell this story uh, and we build out our business plan, we've got to show how this, regardless of whether you care about your health or the environment, you know, whether regardless whether you're a business or a consumer, that this will be the right decision, that you know, cultured oil is the right decision. So we put a ton of work into outlining that path, not just in terms of the story we tell, but actually planning the business around that and started talking to investors about that and what they were most excited about were all the health and environmental benefits. And uh, so we, we ended up you know, raising our seed round and kind of pivoting after ha- halfway through and um, you know, pivoting between calls. Uh, and I became less self-conscious about being, you know, this, this nutrition nerd who loves, uh, you know, loves nature and wants to do what's right by the environment and telling the story of, of the problem. And, um, you know, it turns out I didn't sound like too much of a hippie and that it, it wasn't too idealistic and that, you know, we can do this and investors care about this. And frankly, the whole fundraising process was, um, it was very, it, it put me in a more optimistic, gave me a more optimistic outlook because so many investors really do want to just put their money in, you know, in, in something that's doing good in the world. And a lot of our investors are, are folks who aren't, you know, traditional venture capitalists, but rather high net worth individuals or, you know, athletes or uh, celebrities or whatever. And so they don't have to invest, you know, they, they don't, they don't need to make more money on their money, but they're like, okay, well, I got to this point in my life where I have all this money and success and, you know, good luck and fortune. Um, how, how can I give it back? And so they're, they're trying to invest in companies that they genuinely think are doing the right thing and that they believe are doing the right thing. Um, and so I think we're partly a beneficiary of that. Um, when, when I kind of debriefed with our investors on, you know, what, what they were excited about or when they, um, proactively volunteered that information, it was that most companies are doing something that's, you know, better for the environment, but questionable on the health side, doesn't taste as good, costs a lot more or is better for your health, but doesn't taste as good, maybe is worse for the environment, has no environmental story. Um, and you know, it's hard to see how it would expand out of the keto crowd or the vegan crowd or, or whatever it might be. 
Um, so the feedback they gave was that Zero Acre Farms is so clearly better for both. You know, it's doing something important on the human health side and on the environment side. And even if you could care less about both, they're just better products that taste better. Um, and yeah, it turns out uh, that, that investors do care about that. But it was still a really good you know, exercise and a core part of our, our business to, for the um, what will investors and customers care about that has nothing to do with better for, better for people and planet. And now the combination of all of those things has, has turned, out to, turned out to be really powerful. And then going into the Series A, um, uh, you know, I, I think we kind of had it figured out of, of, of what was appealing. Um, and and you know, Series A was much bigger than the seed. And, um, and so, yeah, the, the investor side of things has been very helpful. We need money to, to make this business big. Um, and our investors have been super supportive. Yeah, that um, I think that all that all makes a ton of sense. And why don't you tell us a little bit about um, like who are some of your for, for our audience and who's listening? Like who are some of those people that you've been really excited to be able to have the opportunity to work alongside and solve this problem with? So um, our our largest investor is Lower Carbon, um, Lower Carbon Capital. That you know they focus exclusively on companies that will pull carbon out of our atmospheres and oceans. And, um, and they, they've participated in, in every one of our rounds. They're very helpful. Um, gentleman named Clay Dumas there is, is extremely helpful, well-connected, uh, fund by Chris Saka, uh, you know, kind of came out of the angel investing world, very prolific, successful angel investor. And again, you know, tried to kind of do the farm life for a while and was like, well, how can I use my capital in a way that you know, really helps solve problems. And this is what he identified as one of the world's largest problems. Um, and, and then we have other investors like Dr. Will Cole, Dr. Andrew Weil, Kelly Levesque, uh, who are, you know, nutritionists, MDs, doctors who really care about this problem. And, you know, but frankly, they just wish that they had a very easy recommendation they could tell their clients. And right now, when it's like vegetable oils are bad, you know, when that message is, is sent, there are just more questions than answers from, from their clients, from their followers on what should I use instead? What about olive oil, but the smoke point is low and I hear it's adulterated. What about palm oil, but you know, it's killing orangutans and it's so unsustainable. And there, there just hasn't been anything that's checked all the boxes. Um, and so you know, getting this message out there through our investors we, is, is really important. And we were very selective in our investors in thinking through who can actually add value and, and not just write a check. Um, and so other, you know, other investors include 50 years, S2G ventures, collaborative funds, um, Robert Downey Jr.'s footprint coalition, Virgin group. So folks with big platforms, big megaphones, you know, have, have invested in, um, other companies in the food tech space and can, you know, back to education can, can help educate their audiences about this problem. Yeah. I think that's so important being able to have like a, you know, when you, when you think about a product and you're like taking it to market, having a group of investors that are really aligned with you and what you're building and can, like you were saying, like you can pick out the right people. They, they have platforms that can help amplify what you're doing. So it's not just capital. You're bringing the right team along with you um, to solve the problem you're going after. Uh, so I think that's, that's, that's really an amazing group of people that you brought together. Um, and then in terms of, um, you know, launch, like you guys are, are getting ready to go, you're rolling things out. Um, 
what is what's launch looking like for you guys like who who are, how who are you seeding to like who's how are you getting people involved i know we're going d to c but are there any really exciting um you know partnerships that you have in the works or really exciting ways um you guys are planning to really uh bring zero acre to market uh we're, we're super excited about learning a ton through our d to c launch um and uh you know, it's, it's at zeroacre.com um, for for that. We've also gotten, for, for anyone who's followed what's going on in the markets right now, and, you know, for, for all my oil crop nerds out there who follow uh, uh, vegetable oil prices, uh, be, partly because of, you know, sadly what's going on in Ukraine and Russia, they, they didn't plant uh, sunflower seeds like, you know, they were planning to. And something like two-thirds of the world's sunflower oil comes out of that region. So that's just shot. And then as a result, palm oil prices have skyrocketed, soybean oil prices have skyrocketed, and then every other oil, um, you know, its, it's price has skyrocketed. So we've actually got a ton, we've gotten a ton of inbound interest from, from food manufacturers, from restaurants who are looking at, you know, what they're spending. Just to give you a sense, in the last 24 months, the price of soybean oil and palm oil, just you know, to pick those two, has nearly quadrupled. So th this is like a commodity oil crop, you know, 20% of our calories one of the most consumed foods in the world for the price to quadruple is pretty unprecedented. And, um, you know, we've had conversations where the business will like, I'll be the one telling them why they shouldn't be, be doing this. Like, you know, listen, it's not as cheap as, as palm oil. Um, and they're like, it doesn't matter. Like, doesn't matter. We just need supply. You know, com companies are struggling to just have supply and the supply they can get is just crazy, crazy expensive. So, um, yeah, super excited about D2C, you know, want to get this into more home kitchens, want to get consumers talking about the problem and, you know, focused on healthy fats and introduce this category of cultured oil. Um, but, you know, more medium to long term, I think you'll start seeing cultured oil in, uh, w when you flip over more packages of foods or, or look at a restaurant menu. Well, Jeff, we were super, uh, super happy to have you on and, and learn about it. I think it's really fascinating how you guys are going to market. And obviously that the, the whole supply chain sort of shock, um, you know, that should be a, a big that's a big that's a big thing in terms of like timing. I don't think, you know, no one can plan for anything like that. But it seems like you guys are really positioned well for um, an incredible launch. Uh, so really excited to 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 keep watching as you guys grow and try it out myself. <laughs> so I don't feel so guilty about the, the oil that I'm eating. Um, but anyway, we'll where can, for sure, Blaine. Oh yeah, please. I let me, let me, uh, I'll, I'll have it on my salads. My, my girlfriend always, she's always like telling me I'm putting way too much oil on my salads. And, and so I'm getting oil shamed all the time, you know? Hey, it's delicious um, though. I don't blame you. <laughs> but, uh, it's so good. So where can um, so where can we follow along with the journey? Um, are you guys on social? Uh, what platforms are you on? Where can listeners connect with the brand and, and you as well? Yeah, thanks. Um, so Cultured Oil right now is available at zeroacre.com. Zeroacre.com is also where we, you know, we have all of our content and information and, and more about what we're working on. You can subscribe for our newsletter. We're on all the socials, um, working on TikTok, but right now, you know, Instagram, uh, Twitter, Facebook at Zero Acre Farms, and I'm at Jeff Knobs, you know, mainly on Twitter, um, and I write a bunch about this subject and all sorts of other weird things and health and nutrition and sustainability on on my blog at JeffKnobs.com. Cool. Well, thanks for joining us, Jeff. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, me too. Thank you both. Thanks, Blaine. Thanks, Ramon.
Thank you, Jeff. Take care, guys.